for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Pet Chat. Welcome to Cheryl Shaw and Dr David Tabret. Lovely to have you both on. Thank you. Now, what are we looking at today? A big show. Cheryl, you're not wearing your doggy brooches today. No, into the birds today. So we're going to be talking Ah. about National Bird Week. And you know what's on? The Aussie bird count. That's begun. Yes, it has. It started on Monday and oh. finishes on Sunday. Okay, well, look at that. That's always good. And, David, have you uh, prepared a little something for us also? I've been trying to organise my Christmas holidays and organise where I can put my pets for pet boarding. So oh. I thought we should talk about that. Good yes. one. You're you always went... on holidays. <laughs> it's a long way away. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring I'm counting that up. them down. <laughs> And welcome to the show, Robin in Barnsley. You've got a problem with your dog at the moment. Yes, I do. <laughs> Tell us about it. All right, it. Robin, what, what's going on? Good morning. Oh, no, good afternoon, Dr David. I have a beautiful, healthy boxhead Labrador. He's nearly five. Mm-hmm. And we have a female on heat, and they've been together all morning. He's getting on the right end, but he's not, shall we say, rising to the occasion. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, has, at all, has he... and I know he, I know he can do it. I mean, I know that he, he normally can get an erection, but he, I mean, I've seen it before. Right, uh, he's capable. He... Yes, has he ever mated before? No, no. Um, so he's five, you said, and um, he's probably of an age where, if he hasn't done it before, there may well be some of these dogs just really kind of don't know how it all comes together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really just can't work it all out, and obviously others uh, are much more adept. Um, but we also want to make sure there's no medical problems. So there are actually some neurological diseases. Uh, you can get um, spinal lesions that can put pressures on particularly the pedendal nerve, which arises in the lower back. And obviously you can also have some orthopaedic things. So um, you can have some early onset of arthritis and things like hip dysplasia can also cause problems with, uh, you know, his willingness to get involved. Mm. Once you kind of tick off those medical things, then, you know, it probably helps to just set the mood. Um, Sarah. Oh, sorry, what? Oh, Barry White just popped up. A few candles, scented candles. And a little bit of Barry White. There you go. Never goes astray. That sort of voice popping in. Yeah, no, I think you're on the money there, David. Yeah, Robin, just with um, with your bitch, how far into the season, into her cycle is she? I'm not actually sure because the lady up the road said, oh, she's ready, but I, I, didn't, I didn't have a look. Okay, so um, that, that could be eight, some she's of... She's only 18 months old as well, and I was wondering whether she was ready. Okay, so she may true. she may not be ready. Um, just because they're in season doesn't always mean that they're ready to accept the male. So you might find mm. that she's mm. actually not quite at that point. And quite mm. often breeding a dog under two, um, they're really not that confident about what they're doing. Some are a little bit immature. But I would be thinking more likely along the line that she actually isn't ready and that's why mm. he's not performing as well. But that might just be maybe another 
dialed. Yeah, it could. Yeah, because normally it could, well, could change. Yeah, that it could change on the day. So sometimes you do your matings two to three times. It will just depend on the day. So it's not just that you introduce the dogs together and you know everything's sweet. Sometimes it can take a few. Um, you know, because I know when I've been breeding, we usually put the dogs together for three days, hoping that we've got the the timing right and that everything's um, together. Um, and obviously, you need to be observing your dog, particularly when you've got two inexperienced dogs. A dinner and a date beforehand. <laughs> well, they do They do have to be familiar to each other, mm. as Cheryl said, but well, the, yeah. the bitch can change within 12 to 24 hours. She can go from mm-hmm. completely, I don't want to know you, and, and aggressive, and then accepting. Mm. And he picks up on that even if it's not visible in behaviour because the pheromones, mm. you know, these scents that he's picking up uh, are changing all the time. And so it, just that timing might might well be the issue. Yes. Okay, well, um, we're going to... Uh, I might just lift the tail and have a little look and see if the, you know, she's got the swelling and et cetera. Um, and then oh, the lady a, said she yeah, brings... It's a bit more than that because it actually gets to the point where they can have swelling and discharge for, you know, up to two or three weeks, but they may only accept the male for one or two days in that period. Ah, I see. And right see, so one of the signs that you can sometimes see is when she starts to what they call flag the tail. She'll put the tail, present the tail off to one side. That's when oh, she's sort of yes. indicating that she's she's ready to accept. I have seen dogs do that before, yeah. Okay. Oh, mm. that's great. Well, wow. we'll see what happens. We'll bring her back for the next few days. They're certainly friends. They have, they'd be very happy together, so... We'll see what happens. <laughs> Thank you for your advice. No worries. Thank that you. That was very interesting. Between, the, oh, you know, both science. of you, you had... Yes, I had no and idea an, it was uh, so complex. Mm. Oh, breeding's not easy. No. 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 Cheryl's been involved in this game a lot longer than I have. Mm. And so. I'm not going back to breed anymore. It's just too hard. Too hard. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Look, good advice there for Robin. Very good advice. We're talking Pet Chat and our number, 49216216. Now, Cheryl, it has kicked off. We're talking about our uh, national... Is it the Aussie Backyard Bird Count? Is that what it's officially known as? Yeah, and it's actually put together by the BirdLife Australia. Now, BirdLife Australia are a not-for-profit organisation that are all about conserving bird life. And they invite people all over Australia to get out and start counting any bird that you see or even if you hear a bird call. Now, that sounds easy, but sometimes you don't know what that bird call is. So now I know David has downloaded the app. So the app is available mm. for you to download and yep. that will help you to identify what birds that you're actually recording. Now, it doesn't take very long. You can go out just for 20 minutes at a time is all they ask you to do. You can so have your morning coffee or, you yeah. know, afternoon cup of tea and Well, for count. you, Sarah, you could go out in this campus and count because the bird life here is amazing. So, you know, cup of coffee, your so sandwich. so many of them. Yep. Yeah. But what you do, you count for 20 minutes what your birds you see and you hear. But if it's easy first if you go on the website and just have a read about what you've got to do, how you've got to do it. That way you're prepared when you start having your lunch and counting those birds. And that's aussiebirdcount.org.au. Yep. And you don't need to go into your own backyard. You can do it everywhere. So whether you go on, t- you know, down by the beach or the lake or into a schoolyard, an oval, anywhere at all, even down a main street, because they're wanting to see what birds are around. And this is going to be a particularly interesting year as well because we've had a drought and that drought has made a lot of birds need to change their environment. So yeah, absolutely. the habitats are altering for a lot of birds. Um, so it's a lot of fun. Um, a lot of people get involved in it. It culminates on Sunday, which is actually bird day so it's 
it's the final day of the um, the count is on Sunday, and the data that's collected just helps that helps us to understand what birds are around and how they are living and, and um, acting with people. Um, it's held every year, and of course, this time of the year is springtime, and springtime brings a lot of other birds to our area. I know at my place at the moment we've got those channel bill cuckoos and they just don't seem to know the time. They oh. scream at the top of their voices and it's yes. still dark. I find the plovers do the same. Yeah. 4.30am. So, so you can get up and count those birds at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get up. Do you, and I'll do you 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, 20 yeah. minutes at 4am. But it, look, there is a lot happening. The baby birds are out and about as well, a lot of springtime birds. So a little bit of fun. So get your field guide, get your binoculars and go out. Now, David, you've got the app. Have you got mm. some stats for us already? Yes, yeah, so it's been running for two days. So it's started on Monday mm-hmm. and, as Cheryl said, runs for the week to throw through to Sunday. So they've already received 32,982 checklists. Awesome. Isn't that great? And that is And they've awesome. counted over a million birds at this wow. stage. Wow. So you can go on there. There is a field guide on your smart device on the app. So if you're out and about and you think, oh, what's that bird? Because I don't recognise it. You can actually filter by size. Um, by the shape and the colour. Gee, that's handy. And then it gives you a list of birds with photographs and everything and describes them so that you're going to be fairly accurate even if you're not a, um, you know... A bird specialist. An aficionado. And we've got Harry from Abermain on the line. You're seeing a strange bird in your yard, Harry. Yes, I have, and I was absolutely delighted to see this. I was attracted to it by the sound that it makes as this bird was sitting on top of my garage here in John Street, Abermain. I was sort of, sort of raised in the Cessnock's taste for it, and at that point of time there was quite a few of these birds there. But I have never seen one here locally ever since, and it's called the turtle dove, just a small dove which was sitting on my top of my garage within this last half hour. And I was absolutely delighted to Here see it and listen to it. Now, have you have you got the uh, Aussie Backyard Bird Count, um, either the website or the app, Harry? No, I, I don't. I, I'm, I live here on my own. I'm 86 years of age and I haven't uh, taken right. any interest in, in the bird count, at call, uh, of course. But I can assure you that every day I have what I call reddies and double bars feeding in my backyard. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Harry, does the turtle dove have the black stripes on their neck? Sorry? Does the turtle dove have, like, the three or four little black stripes on their neck? No, no, it's it's, it's just simply a grey bird and it's a small dove, smaller than the normal town doves that you see every day of the week. And it's uh, it's grey... Yeah, light sort of a, a light grey in colour. Yeah. And uh, I was sort of reared in the Cessnock State Forest, mm. which is about four miles or kilometres near near, uh, near Abermain. And uh, that, when I was a kid, we that was common to have these dimies and double bars and reddies uh, and zebras at that stage. And so you've got I, a bit I, of a thrill to see it again after all this time. I was absolutely delighted to see this dove on my roof 
and I was attracted to it by its call. And I just stood at my back door and watched it until it flew away. Oh, isn't that lovely? Harry still remembers the call. It's like frogs. You just don't see enough of the frogs anymore. Uh, They're coming back. I hope so. Big, beautiful green tree frogs. But through a lot of effort, I I think we have to acknowledge that you know, that uh, humans have had a huge impact on local and obviously global climates and, and um, environments. But through effort, people have made changes and we're seeing some of these species return. So that turtle dove is probably the spotted dove. Ah, oh, okay. I, I got that info just straight off the app and it gave me two... I typed in turtle dove and it came up with two species, but one of them it said unlikely based on survey location because ah. it's saying it's probably in more in WA is the laughing dove so it's probably the spotted dove otherwise yeah. it's sometimes known as the spotted turtle dove okay. and they normally live in groups as well mm. beautiful go. so I've got my what bird is that book here I haven't got the app Dave you need you see You've this is your book <laughs> Your book, your book can't it's my field guide. show cat videos and make phone calls. No, but I have that as well. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, we are taking your calls. We learn everything here at 2NURFM. 49216216. Ron and Cave Speech, you've got a comment on birds. Uh, yes, I, I, I was speaking to you guys a couple of weeks about, uh, about birds, and the uh, doctor was very good. He informed me about uh, how I should look after my kookaburra. So, uh, oh, yes, you were you were painting, you were feeding the kookaburras, and you were then putting paint on them to know which ones you'd fed. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, so I didn't overfeed them. <laughs> yeah, we remember, Ron. Yeah, that's good. But, so I, but I, I got another a question to ask me about the rainbow larrikeets. Mm, yep. Yep, are you there? Um, yeah, well, I've got, I get a lot, and I've got some really, I'm a bit, stra- uh, a little bit unusual around my area where I've got a lot of really big trees. Yes. And I get a real lot of rainbow larrikeets, and, and I love them. They're beautiful birds. And, uh, but I, and I do feed them. I've got a, I've got a bird, <laughs> birdhouse for them and things I can play on. And they said, uh, actually, I, I give the kookaburras away a long, long time ago, because uh, I lost a lot of sight. Right. So yeah. even, I, it didn't, didn't do me good. So, but I was, I, 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 what you said was very good advice because they, I, they were becoming more plentiful and they were getting more, as you say, the families were probably coming come and everything, weren't they? So you gave me some good advice there. Um, about the rainbow larrikeets, you know, I, I, I feed them uh, a bit because I think it'd be pretty hard to, uh, to, for, to you know, to uh, sort of uh, kill them off, would you say? Well, it's brings up an interesting point about I was just saying about our impact so um, the kookaburra story I'm, I'm really glad to hear that it was actually Dr Paul uh, who was here that day and oh, that's I, right. I, I was Sorry. yeah but I was listening on the radio and I sent him a text message because um, I oh. thought his answer to you was fantastic it was and um, so I was listening and I heard all of that story but the um, the thing about when we, we, we love to see the animals in our backyards and in our environments, and we do that by creating an environment that's friendly and safe for them, for sure. However, yeah. when we actually start feeding them uh, through putting out food and stuff, we're going to upset a lot of this um, biome and the biosystems, okay? Because we're the best way to get the birds there is to have plentiful... Um, flowering trees, natives and so on that they can come and feed off the nectar when we actually put down food for them we're going, they're going to congregate and there's going to be a higher density of birds they're more exposed to each other there's a risk of disease spread um, and so it's better to have the backyard set up that encourages them to come in but not necessarily just a feeder um, the other thing is that getting their feed right yeah. from a nutritional point of view is very difficult and particularly when you're talking about things like lorikeets 
um, you know, which are nectivorous birds. So they're actually... Um, Carnivorous, that's right, kookaburras. Well, kookaburras are carnivorous, so they're going to eat meat. But nectivorous birds are actually uh, feeding on the nectar of plants and they actually fulfil another role, which is to help with um, spreading that nectar around with the different plants and possibly even with pollination. Absolutely, because there's a problem with bees, isn't there? They're not as plentiful as they used to be. Yeah, so I think we just... um, The best way to go is to make sure that we've got the backyard set up. Obviously... You know, cats and dogs, are, birds don't like to be in the same environment, so that's if you do have cats and dogs. In no, the, I don't. Then, yeah, we want to keep them locked up. But I otherwise... don't have any gates. There you go. So otherwise, <laughs> fence, I think... No, I have a fence, but not, 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 uh, in, they can still get access. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that, the only thing I... You know, I'm, I'm going to say that, but I have encouraged them with a lot of... I do have a lot of flowering plants and uh, tall trees and what have, and they do gather in the trees because there's not too many of them around this particular area. And uh, I do enjoy them, but what I've tried to do, uh, I'm always aware, as you say, that they, I didn't want to, to be, uh, rely on what I was feeding them, so I go for, uh, I don't feed them very often. Right. You know, I go for long periods, but they, so they don't, when they, I don't get anywhere near like I used to, because really, it nearly boils down to, to two, two, two birds. And I used to have, you know, you could have hundreds of them, there were so many. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm aware of what you said. Um, yeah, I think I that, that, got... that applies whether it's a kookaburra or whether it's a lorikeet. Um, you know, any time that we change their dietary habits, their, their feeding habits, if you like, and when it comes to kookaburras, obviously, being carnivorous, they do have to... Uh, find prey, and obviously it can be worms and so on, but the the whole s- principle of this is that we minimise our impact on the species. But Dave, when you say um, there's other things that, that Ron can do, which it sounds like he's doing, so making mm. them bird friendly, so the bird bath, that's still A-OK to have a bird bath, or is well, that out the window these days? Well, these species probably won't necessarily... In, you know, get involved with that. Okay. Um, they might I, come I mean, have a little drink yeah, on a they, hot day. They might, and I think, yeah, certainly on hot weather, that a lot of people do that as well. But just simply having shaded areas, shaded and some some nice flowers as well. If yeah. you know, I think I think the the <coughs> thing is with our environment is it's so easy to grow native trees and bushes and so on that these birds love. Okay. It's not. Look, if I can grow a grevillea, seriously, I'm not a green thumb. <laughs> Then anyone can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so Ron should keep keep doing that. Keep yeah. planting plants that the birds like, having shade, um, keeping dogs and cats away. Should from ring the in backyard. on Monday for gardening talkback. Yeah. Find out. There you go, Ron. You can maybe get into uh, rather than feeding, getting into the planting of of certain things. That's a birds. great idea. Yeah. Mm. And popping on the sprinkler is really good too. Lots of birds come under the sprinkler, and that way they're not actually bathing in the same water. Not all sitting in the one yeah. place. Ah, so they can't yep. spread diseases easily. Cheryl's on fire today. Cheryl, I like birds. Hate to say it, but Christmas is approaching, and now's the we time to it. get organised. I know. Got to get organised. I love Christmas. I just hate getting organised. The, orga- the the part, the lead up. Yeah, yeah the lead up. The lead up. Her, oh, you know, presents yeah. and it's always a competition. Yeah. You know, some people are finished in how October you, and it's like, is, get a life. How barrel I've got to write a Christmas card? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly oh, right. Dear. Oh, the secret But if, you, if you're going away uh, for holidays at any time over the, the period, I think is, um, look, Christmas is one of the busiest periods of time that the boarding kennels and catteries and so on, establishments all get full up. 
really quickly. So, look, if you haven't booked by now, you've, you've almost left it too late, mm. says I, who haven't booked my dog in. <laughs> but um, this is what prompted me to have a look at do this. Do as I say, not as I do. Oh, it's a great motto. Um, but the important thing is that understanding what you're getting, what is your pet getting? Um, and, you know, we were just leading into that song with the idea that if you leave it too late, then a lot of people just go away and ask the neighbours to keep an eye on them or the friends and family, oh, yeah, they pop around once a day or once every second day. It's not good enough. Um, and in my role working in emergency, we often see pets that are, you know, brought in and they go, oh, well, we fed him yesterday morning and it's now 10pm the next night and he's vomited and hasn't eaten. So this pet's been without care for that long. If you get them into a boarding establishment, right, first of all, their medical care will be looked after mm. because they're observed, they're watched, they're cared for. So how do you know what's a good boarding cat Yeah, how do you go and choose, on? for example? So f- there's a couple of things. First of all, these are, these are a minimum, okay? The minimum is that New South Wales government, through the Department of Primary Industries, have a set of standards and guidelines for best practice boarding facilities. So, look, I'm not advising you to go out and read the 75-page document, but it's a good idea to be aware and to at least know some of those checkpoints, okay? Absolutely. Um, one of the ways that I kind of approach that is how transparent is the establishment okay. about letting you visit. Um, you can obviously use social media and things like that to get a sense, um, but that's one just one simple checklist that people already have put in place. But there's also industry associations. So the Pet Industry uh, Association of Australia have a um, standard uh, guidelines as well. And so industry members or association members uh, have committed to make sure that their their establishment meets those. Now, that's at a higher level than what the government says. So there's kind of like these standards. And I think if you're really looking for, you know, the best uh, holiday experience for your best friend, um, then you need to make sure that the establishment meets those uh, best guidelines. So yeah. that's another thing. Yep. And you'll be able to find that out either on their website or you talk to them or they've got a sticker up. It says that they're a member of the Pet Industry Association and they, um, by saying that, they're actually committing that they're meeting those guidelines. I do love how some boarding places are using Facebook. I've had Gizmo only in to one boarding place, but they actually took pictures and they would put them up on Facebook mm. every day so you can be on your holiday and you can check in and see what your pooch has been up to that day. I thought it was great. Well, it's getting, it's getting even more high-tech than this now is that individual kennels they have webcams and you can dial in any (laughs) time on your device and see what your pet's up to see that transparency is brilliant because in my mind you know you know you can pop in at any time you might only do it once or twice but the fact that you have the option you think oh well they're in safe hands if they're happy for me to see what my dog's up to at any point in time it's it's the irony of it that i love is that you go away on holidays and you spend all your time looking at a video of your pet what are they doing yeah oh look does he look all right he needs his his blankets over there someone should get his blanket (laughs) um so they, these are you're exactly right it's the transparency and even if you don't necessarily jump on and look all the time the fact that the um, people involved in the establishment are prepared to say look this is how we look yeah. after them because obviously there's been incidents in the past where there's you know things have happened um, and pets like us are biological creatures things go wrong yes and you want to know that they're in good hands so this is another important step is find out about what is the arrangements that that boarding kennel or cattery have for seeking veterinary care yeah with their local vet 
Yeah, and also the training of the people who are there. How do they know that your pet might be unwell or not, you know, is feeling sick? Because obviously you would know your pet and your vet would know your pet, but if it's a third party who hasn't seen them before, are they trained to recognise the signs of illness? They recognise the signs of health and recognise illness. So there's some very important pointers. The very important thing I look at is because I own a bulldog um, and, you know, so our big concern over summer is do they get too hot? So we want to know the boarding um, kennel has uh, air conditioning. Yeah. And that's part of it as well. Because that's a huge thing in summer, huge. Yeah. And even if they say, oh, no, but there's cross-ventilation, then I might want to go and sit in that room on a hot day and see what it's like. It's probably not going to be that great particularly for these brachycephalic breeds. And look, they are so much more popular. Your little French Bulldogs and the Bostons and Pugs and so on, those guys need that special care. So that's another important thing. I also like to see that they get social time. Yes. So do they get out, they get to run on grass, okay? They get to maybe share some space with uh, same-sized dogs, um, now, there's nothing to say that a big dog and a small dog can't mix together, but if they're running around and a big dog lands on a small dog... Yeah, because you now get um, boarding be... places that will only have small to medium dogs and yes. some that only have, you know, bigger dogs. And Yeah, and yeah. They'll, they'll make sure they get time and they also have to be alert enough that, um, you know, if the, the dogs aren't getting along, they can recognise that early yeah. before there's any scraps and then... They, are, they can separate them. It's something to think about because quite often that is one of the last things to get checked off, but it can make or break a holiday if, you know, you're leaving concerned about your animal. They're, they're an extended part of your family. Oh, then look, um, so many, ruin a holiday. There's so many options, and I love the stuff I was looking at with some cat stuff because now the catteries are fantastic. They look mm. so good. And then when you book in for your, your boarding, but then it's like, now, do they want the daily wash and the massage and the oh, extra playtime? You think it's better than the holiday I'm they, on. Yeah, and then, you know, do they want the some massage. TV time? Yeah. Um, and we can give spend, and you go, oh, yes, you're ticking all these options. Yeah. And it's like, by the end of the day, they're well, getting the better by holiday. By the end of the research, you're like, hang on, I'm not going to go where I was originally going. I'm going to the cattery. <laughs> <laughs> I want that daily massage. So get get out there and, and do the do the research by visiting and make sure you tick all those boxes to have a great holiday. Good advice. Now, look, I'm going to get in trouble because Kim, our promotions manager, has gone to all the effort of putting two amazing dogs up for our dog of the week. Uh, Bella, 12-month-old Border Collie cross Kelpie. Yeah, Lots of energy, that one, but super smart. So go check her out. She's gorgeous. And Elliot, a seven-month-old Rottweiler and Wolfhound, a big dog and a big smoocher. So please head to 2NURFM.com and have a look at our Pet of the Week. That's all we've got time for. Cheryl Shaw, Dr David Tabaret, thank you both so much. No worries. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.